Welcome to the show. Today's episode is split into two parts. Part one is about building culture, conflict resolution, and having crucial conversations all internally. And then part two will be the same topics, but more focused on the external with your customers. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome folks, back to another episode of From Pain to Purpose. Today we got uh, John Barsness on the hot seat. We're gonna answer some questions, um, some leadership questions, as well as some just kind of uh, company culture questions. And um, starting off with change management. So I'm curious, right off the bat, is there a process? So something's wrong, and um, and somebody sees a problem and they want to change it. What's the process that sh- somebody should go through to effectively create change in an organization? Yeah, often change is thought of as something's broken, right? Just as you described it, and in many cases, then we try to go to an immediate fix. In any change management, though, it's really about perception and a mental mindset. Think about it from a personal standpoint. If you want to change a behavior that you have, it starts with your mind. Any change management starts with your mindset. And if you don't have the right mindset around wanting to change, you're not going to. You're going to find a reason not to. You're going to procrastinate with it, or you're going to disagree with the fact that there needs to be a change at all. So from a leadership perspective, in order to shift the mindset of, around change, you have to be able to build the the resiliency in, in people in an organization to actually want to see change as a positive as opposed to taking something away. Most people view change as, well, that means I'm not doing something right, or you're taking something away from me. Instead, change needs to be thought of as improving on something that's already good. So think about this from a, uh, a culture of high performance. When you have a high performance culture, the thought of changing is going to inspire people to find that change for themselves and for the organization because that's going to lead to higher performance. If you have a mediocre organization or if you don't understand why high performance is actually a valuable asset to your organization, somebody introduces change and you're immediately going to worry about what that means for you in a negative. So I think when you start with a change management uh, initiative as an organization, the leadership has to understand what they're trying to accomplish with that, because then we can explain the why. You know, Simon Sinek always uh, has, has, a, has a great book out there, Start With Why. Well, that includes change management. If you're going to do anything as a leader, you have to make sure that people understand why you're, why you're doing it, whether it's change or anything else, and what that means for the individuals, the team, and the organization as a whole. And then you have to point them towards something. And so really for change management, it has to start at that level. If leaders are looking to make a change and they don't even know why, I know I, you're not going to have people who are going to actually embrace that because they're going to go, well, I don't, if he doesn't know why we're changing, why would we change anything? Um, I think the second part of that change, uh, how you approach change is then starting to look at it as, is it a process or is it a people issue? You know, it could be process, and which means you either don't have systems or there's not a clarity on on what you do from step A to step Z. Uh, and and so you, the great change management people recognize those two pieces and they separate them out, right? So if it's a problem with a person, performance, behavior, whatever it is that's causing that problem that you want to change, changing the process isn't going to change the problem because it's a people problem. And so then you have to deal with the, that, that as a, as a 
individual person, or if it's a part of the organization, you likely have to change the structure. And then if it's a process uh, issue, you still have to bring people along and make sure they understand where the where in the chain things are breaking down so that you can fix the right thing in the chain. Because otherwise you can pull one link out thinking you've solved it and you haven't thought about the downhill effect of that. And so you might solve one and you've, you've created another problem down the road. So having a clear picture of why you want to change and then also I would imagine where you want to get to how do, you, how do leaders and how do you navigate that tension between, okay, I, I see the final, the desired state that I want to get to. We're at point A, we want to get to point Z, but there's that ambiguity in between of, I don't necessarily know all the steps that I need to take. Like as this change happens, certain variables will uh, reveal themselves. How do you lead with confidence during with ambiguity, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is one of the biggest challenges because if people are, are, if you, if you lay too much out in detail out, especially in the world today, we, we, it used to be that you could put a 10 year plan together as a business and you were probably going to have a chance to realize that 10 year plan things didn't move as rapidly or change as much as they do today. You know, the, the idea of doing a, even a five-year business plan is almost obsolete anymore because anybody who tells you that they've got that roadmap and they're going to follow it, I would argue they probably get to year two and things have changed. So I think as a leader, you have to be able to say, this is where we want to go. This is the outcome we're looking for, whether that's growth in your business, a new market segment, a new product or service that you're trying to offer as a business, whatever that might be. And, and, and so you share that end goal, but you, you tell your team along the way, listen, we're going to iterate because it's not going to be a linear process. You're going to have to ebb and flow. You're going to have to, your timing may increase or decrease based on opportunity, right? So if you have an idea that you want to put a, a new product out there and your roadmap says it's going to take three years to develop, but you get into year one and you realize that the market capitalization of that is going to happen in year two instead of year three or four. If you really think that that's a product that's going to lead your organization to a profitable, sustainable profitability or to capture a small period of time where that, where that technology or that product offering is going to have maximum value, you have to make a decision as a leader. If you can, if you just say, well, it's going to take us three years to get there okay, well, you might also have two competitors that jump in ahead of you and take that market capitalization away from you. So then you have to say, well, okay, team, we're going to have to do this differently. We're going to have to double down. We're going to have to add more resources for R&D. We're going to have to do more marketing and sales initiatives ahead of what we thought. As a leader, that's what you have to be able to do. You have to lead through that ambiguity, knowing that two steps around the corner, you might have to change again. Uh, and, And so... For me as a leader, I try to make sure that the team knows the, the grand vision of where we're going. Where are we trying to get to in that next three-year plan, for instance? But I always remind them the timing is just us projecting where we think and want to be. That's a goal. If you don't have a goal, you're not going to hit anything, right? But we might change along the way, and things might look very different in year three and we're going to have to adjust again. It's why in, in organizations that uh, that I am a part of, we actually do a, a three-year rolling plan. So we'll start one three-year plan. 
in year two, we're starting the next three-year plan. And so you're just continuing to move those out instead. And so you have this, this consistency in how you're doing things, but you don't know what that end result is going to be. I think the pandemic has shown us that in the last couple of years is, is there are, there have been massive shifts in industry. And if you're not a, a, able to capitalize on those in that short wave, you're going to have a hard time. But you also then have to plan and the companies that are struggling right now to they doubled down in the in the in the pandemic, for instance, whether it was at work from home technology or some of these types of, of, of organizations. And they capitalize on this massive increase in revenue because there was a need for that. But they didn't have it. the ones that are struggling today are the ones that now that people are going back into offices or that whole idea of work from home is not as exciting for the people anymore. Those technologies that were like, yeah, we're doubling down. Everybody's going to be doing this forever. Well, we're two years into this and the vast majority of people are not doing that. Same thing with the streaming services, right? That The, the subscriptions went way up during the pandemic because there weren't movie theaters open. There weren't restaurants to go to. People were hunkered down in their homes. Those streaming services that that went all in on that and had no projection for what was next when the world opened up again are the ones that are struggling today because they stayed on one track and didn't adjust their world around them. So I think as leaders, we have to be able to do that and lead through ambiguity. Best way I can do that with my team is to be honest with them. Like, this is where I think we're going to go, but you guys all have to recognize that if something changes, we got to change together. I think that's the other piece of it from a leadership perspective is, is whether it's change management or capitalizing on a new opportunity, it's the team. It's not the leader's role only to develop those plans or to make suggestions on uh, a change in course of direction. It's a leader listening to his team and having them empowered to say, hey, I think we need to look at something different or maybe we need to change a process here and here's why. It, it can't lead from a top-down perspective. It just doesn't work very well. Okay, so along those lines, for people that don't necessarily have that title or authority in an organization, how can a mid-level manager or even somebody um, more of an entry level, how can they effectively create change um, Yeah, without necessarily the authority? What would be the steps? Yeah, I, so I think the the one premise that that is changing in the world of work and has for for quite a while is the old view of hierarchy it has to be thrown out. So if if people view this as boss employee, you're sitting at the top of a of a traditional uh, organizational chart and it it rolls top down. I think that's the first mistake that people make. And and as a leader, again, you need to step forward and say, yes, the hierarchy might be there. Yes, the org chart is there. There have been organizations out there that have tried this whole no org chart, no ownership of, of uh, no reporting structures. And in some cases it works. That takes a really unique organization. So there is a, a traditional model of uh, of of a hierarchy that I, I think is is tried and true and it does work. However, it can't be viewed from well, you're the boss, you tell everybody what to do and they just follow orders. It That world is gone. And, and so from a leadership perspective, the true empowerment and ownership comes from, from a leader saying, we're sitting around a table here, folks. Let's talk about what's going on. If you see something, I want to hear about it. And let's talk about what that might look like. And if you want to actually go and own that change because you believe it's the right thing to do, then I'm going to let you do that. And, and it's the leader's job to, to both 
empower and give them the quote unquote authority to do so, I always call it permission, right? So if if somebody doesn't believe they have the permission to make a change as an individual contributor or as a, as a frontline supervisor, that's on the leadership because the leadership then hasn't communicated to them very clearly that that is okay. And as, and as a leader, my job is to make sure that if they're thinking about something that's very tactical, that I am actually helping them see that, that they have to make the linkage between whatever change they want to make and how that might affect others in the organization. Because it's it's like moving, it's like changing code on a computer, right? You might have a software and somebody makes one change in the code. If they don't understand how that code actually links to the rest of the software, you might shut down the entire stream of, of, of that software because you thought that this change was gonna make a difference in that in that particular software. And so the same thing happens in an organization. I think that that you get the best ideas, you get the most out of people, who are on the front lines. I sit in a leadership position in the organization today. I don't actually do any of the day-to-day work. That's not my job. That's not my function. Doesn't mean I don't know what goes on in those departments, but I have teams that are doing that work and they're really good at it. If I'm hiring right, I'm hiring people smarter than me in the areas that I don't, I'm not effectively doing the work in day-to-day. So then I have to trust that they are actually capable of looking at change, what needs to change, and how to then go about making those steps to change. My job, again, is to link that change to the bigger picture. So it's vision casting, but it's also helping them understand the strategic impact of any change that you might be doing. Um, And so that's really where you get the best out of people. If they just sit back waiting for you to tell them what to do and, oh, he's going to make his decision based on what he wants to do no matter what I say, if those things are – I always tell leaders, if you're not actually hearing that from – you're not hearing good ideas from your people, ask them why. Because my guess is if they were being honest, they'd say, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't go anywhere anyway. The, the people who are willing to share that with leaders, it's the best thing that you can do. I, I have coached CEOs for, for two decades. I've been a CEO uh, myself. It's the loneliest place for a reason, but it's only lonely if you don't have people who are willing to come into your office, shut the door and say, stop being an idiot. Like, here's what's going on. And, and here's what you, I would, I need your help with, or have you thought about this? I want people to be brutally honest with me because if they're not brutally honest with me, I can't help impact where we go and to make that culture what we want it to be. And so that's, and but that's one of the hardest things. I have people on my team now that I know struggle with coming into my office and saying, hey, you're wrong. And, and my hope is that as I build more relationships with them, as I continue to pour into them, they will have that ability to do so. Some of the best people that work for me today and have worked for me in the past are the ones that are, are giving me that brutal feedback, good, bad, or indifferent on my leadership and on the direction of the organization. That might be a nice segue into the next topic, which is um, critical feedback or even um, uh, conflict resolution and those types of conversations. I think so many of us are nervous to have them because they're awkward and and also when you uh, strip away all the, um, let's see, the pleasantries and you really get down to the brass tacks, the outcome can be scary and the outcome might, there's risk involved. Is there a framework or a mindset or any words of wisdom that you could um, share of how to make these conversations 
less risky? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of risk. And I think everybody comes to these conversations with whatever history they have in life, right? It's not always just in their work environment. There may be very personal reasons that they don't like to have difficult conversations. Most people don't, by the way. Most people avoid conflict at all costs because they want to keep harmony. They don't want to address things that are going to be sticky or messy. And I think the best thing I can tell people who are struggling with this in organizations is wade into it. Do it slowly. Make sure that you understand what you're trying to accomplish through that conversation and talk to people who have been through it before, right? So part of this is as a leader, if I have to have a difficult conversation with one of my team members and I'm nervous about having that conversation, I have to step back and ask myself why. Is it because I don't fully understand what the conflict might be? Is it a conflict of personality? Is it a conflict of behavior? Is it a conflict of performance? Or is it something completely different? If I don't know exactly what is is at the root of, of why I need to have this difficult conversation with somebody, then I probably shouldn't have it because it's not going to end well because they're going to be confused as to why we're having this conversation. So I think you have to internally understand what that is first and foremost. And then once you're ready to have that conversation, take the emotions out of it. Granted, easier said than done. Uh, but that's also why I tell leaders, if you're emotional about a decision and, and, a, and a, con a conversation, don't have it. Take time, sleep on it, talk to somebody else and allow your venting to get out with a colleague or with somebody outside of the organization so that you can come into that conversation with a positive frame, frame of mind, even when it's a difficult conversation, and then be prepared to say, here's how I'm willing to support you in this, right? So let's let's say, for example, that, that you have to have a, com uh, a difficult conversation and it's not with a direct report. You know, I sit in a senior senior leadership role, so I'm intersecting with people all over the organization. Just because they don't report to me, if I know that there's something that we have to have a conversation about, I have to have that conversation. And so if I'm going to go into that conversation, I also want to say, here's what I've seen. Here's what I, I uh, want to talk about. Give me your perspective on on this. Am I off base? Do you disagree? And and then dive into wherever those disagreements are, but also come at, come to that perspective to say, in whatever role and capacity I, I play in this organization, I want to support your growth. I want to support your development. I want to support us and get through this so that there isn't this awkwardness. There isn't this challenge. But difficult conversations just become harder the longer you avoid them. And the, again, easier said than done. I get that, especially if you are a individual or a frontline supervisor and you have to have a difficult conversation. It's going to be really hard to be able to have a conversation where you feel like you're going to risk either the relationship or your job, right? Or that, or production's going to go downhill or whatever those, uh, those factors might be. And, and again, you have to have a trust factor in your organization as a whole. I would argue that the, the organizations that do this really, really well have such a strong purpose behind why everybody does what they do. And they have a huge trust in in the bank, right? So you've built up this credibility with people that you can go into a difficult conversation, have hard feedback for somebody, but because you've built in that equity of relationship, you can do that. Think about your own personal relationships. 
the ones that you can have those difficult conversations with and it goes well as well as as can be expected you don't ruin the relationship it's because you have such a strong trusting relationship they know you're coming from it from a from a great place if i'm receiving feedback from somebody and i don't want to hear it if they're coming at me and i don't have a relationship with them i'm probably not going to handle that as well as i i should because they haven't built credibility with me and they have no real basis to come and say, hey, this is a problem that I see and you need to change. Okay, well, I don't, I don't really know you and, and I don't have a relationship, so what's the ulterior motive that you're bringing? But if I have a really good trusting relationship with somebody and they come to me and say, hey, John, this is what you're doing. This is how it showed up. This, you know, I just got to call you on this because it's not the right thing to do or, or say or whatever that might be. If I've got that trust... I'm still not going to want to hear that message, but I'm going to reflect on it and know that that person came from the place of, of actually caring about me. Mm, that makes sense. So it sounds like uh, you should be giving, like, don't just have uh, tough conversations, have fun conversations along the way that you, you bank in and you know that, uh, that that person knows that they're not just, you're not just always, or whoever the leader is, isn't always just looking to nitpick or pick out problems. It's, it's honesty, yeah, both so, good and bad. Right. So one of the practical ways that I always share with managers that you can do this is if you have a regular rhythm of one-on-one -on -one conversations with direct reports or across the organization with people, if you're having those and they are built around not just looking at a to-do list and saying, did you do this? Did you do this? Where are we at with this? And it's a, it's a laundry list of tasks if that's all your one-on-ones are every week and you're just trying to get through them, you're not building a relationship. And so you are not building credibility to be able to sit down at some, at some point and say, hey, performance is struggling or behavior challenges are there because that direct report goes, well, I'm only meeting with him so that I can say yes to whatever the hell he needs me to say yes to or check off the box of, of things that need to get done. Tactical work needs to get done and you need to be able to manage that as a manager, supervisor, or, or, or leader. But that should be a, the very, at the very least, it should be done on a daily basis or at least a regular basis so that everybody is on the same page. So when you meet uh, with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, it's really about building the relationship, pouring into them, and how can I serve them, right? As a leader, that's my goal. So we have in our organization weekly one-on-ones with every one of our direct reports. If I had that meeting and it was only about our to-do list, I'm probably not having any impact on, on the people around me and especially my team. So when I go at these, we have an agenda. It's their agenda, not mine, number one. And number two, I'm there to support whatever that agenda is. So if they want to have a conversation about how they can develop this skill or they're struggling with this particular situation, I'm there as a sounding board and, and providing any guidance that I can or pointing them in the right direction of that better guidance. Maybe I can't give that. Maybe it's not a technical skill set that I have whatever that might be. But along the way, you're building this credibility and trust with them because you're actually supporting what they're trying to achieve as opposed to just going, well, okay, let's sit down with this. All right, can we get done in 15 minutes? Because this is a waste of my time. If you come in unprepared or thinking that it's a waste of time, your direct report's going to think the same thing. And so it doesn't also allow you to have those challenging and difficult conversations. Uh, it's all about the relationship. And I'm, I will tell you that from my own experience, I've had to really work hard at that because I am very driven and I will get blinders on. And the relationship, while I care about people, doesn't always show up because I'm just going to move 100 miles an hour and we got to move. And, and 
if I'm not careful, that's what will I will run that over the organization and my team. And so I ha I've had to work over the years at really, really preparing for that. So I prepare for every one of my one-on-ones and I have notes about relationship because it's that that's what matters. And you pointed out earlier this idea of fun. And yes, if a workplace isn't fun, if you can't laugh, if you can't, uh, the work, I, this is something that, uh, that I've heard said before, the work is always serious, but you can't take yourself so seriously that you can't have fun and you can't laugh. If everybody is dour and nobody has a sense of humor in the office and nobody's willing to take risks of enjoyment and joy, it's a pretty depressing place to go every day if you're going to spend 40 to 50 hours a week in that environment, right? right? Uh, you know, so again, in our culture, we have created opportunities for fun. And whether that's outings, whether that like last week we brought a food truck in and we just had people hang out, grab some good food. It, it, the day before it was sunny and 60. That day we did it was kind of drizzly and 40 degrees. And so all the plans that we had for doing stuff outside, they didn't work out, but we still had a great time. People still joked about things. Um, there, That's where you create these relationships. It's where you kind of create the inside jokes, if you will, about, you know, if these things happen, this is the kind of funny stories that happen. But those are the types the times when people get to know each other. And so if there is an, if there's a conflict, it's much easier to walk into those relationships and have that conversation because it's not transactional at that point. And so I think you have to find environments where that's fun. You know, we were talking the other day as a, as a group and they were talking about Nerf guns. And I thought, well, you know, I've never used them, but I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Everybody's talking about these things. So I bought a bunch of Nerf guns and we brought them into the office and now everybody's got them. So we can shoot ner little Nerf uh, things at people. And again, not in a malicious way. We're not looking to hurt anybody, but it just becomes something that people can do. We have an, a, a running joke around here that when people take time off and vacation, and especially in Minnesota where it's been cold and dreary, if they're going to Mexico or they're going to Florida and they're bragging about it on these meetings or they're talking about it and they come back with these big suntans, we, we just joke around and do something in their office. So in one case, we saran wrapped a, a person's, all of their things in their office just because, uh, and then this last time we, we filled a person's office with balloons. And so they came in on Tuesday and their whole office was filled with 375 <laughs> balloons. And, and But it, instead of just walking in and going, ha, that's funny, now clean them up, we all popped the balloons. It sounded like 4th of July in the office in, in, in the middle of April. Uh, but we also cleaned it up. And so now it becomes something that's just kind of fun, right? And so if there's tension that has to be uh, dissolved, a lot of ways that happens because of those organic opportunities and that goes to the creativity. So you talked about problem solving and how do you, how do you um, do change management right there is part of how you're developing those skills. It may not seem like it at the time, like, well, people are sitting around talking about uh, how you can scheme to put balloons in somebody's office. Yeah, it's fun. And it's how does that solve a problem? Well, that's it's a critical thinking skill. It may be odd and it may be uh, in, in, a, in a joking manner, but it's really building that team building piece anyway. So I think you have to be able to balance those things. But that's to me how you start to build the relationships is you have your regular cadences. And then you start to build in those relationships through conversations. Get to know people. Don't just kind of go surface level. Like, you know, people bring all their life to work. I don't, I, I don't buy, I don't buy the, the whole idea that you leave your personal stuff at home. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't work that way. And, and so 
it's really about being able to continue to build the relationship so that you actually know what people care about. Once you start to understand what they care about, then you can actually have more difficult conversations sometimes. So I'll give you another example. At one point in my career, I had somebody in, in my department that had a very fixed idea of what their progression in their career was going to be. And as I got to know them, the skill sets that they brought that were really, really powerful were completely opposite of where they wanted to go. Well, I could have gone at the surface level, well, this is great. Yep, let's get you ready for this type of a role, even though I knew that there was no way that their skill sets were actually going to make them successful in this career path they wanted to go down. As a manager, I could have gone, well, I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to deflate this person. Instead, I went into those conversations and said, I'd like you to try two different things. In one area, I had them working on a project that fixed, that was towards their skill set. In the other, I exposed them to that side of the job that they thought they wanted to do, but their skill set wasn't going to match that. And by doing so, I allowed them to both see the positive and probably the areas that they knew about themselves personally, but really had this fixed mindset of where they should be going in their career. And at the end, it was a, I was able then to have this conversation. Well, what did you like and what, what did you find success in here? Was there excitement and joy in this? was there excitement enjoying this other piece or not? And if not, what were the challenges? And they came to that conclusion themselves. Like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. I thought I did. What else is there? When now we all of a sudden opened a door for them that wasn't just a, hey, that door is going to close. And we're not talking about what actually you should or could be doing. This person now is 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 leading a large organization in their benefits administration uh, side of things that they wanted to go down a completely different pathway. And so they are, they are a primary and leading this entire group of benefits administration, total rewards, compensation, really in her skill set, where if she would have gone down that other path, I can pretty much guarantee that she would have flamed out at some point because she just was not in her skill set. Yeah, it strikes me that um, all these, some of, some of these examples, it comes back to having margin in the organization. You can't, if you're running at capacity and just redlining and all you're concerned about is productivity, the soft skills we're, we're humans we're not robots and it's about having time to fill offices with balloons and it's about having time to give people uh, exposure to two different types of work and um yeah th that just strikes me um as far as conflict and critical conversations and that sort of thing we've been touching on how how it works with employees in the company what about with customers and when the dynamics of that relationship i'd like you to start with one thing which i've heard both sides um said which is you should have like be in very constant contact with your customer and be really open book and then the other school of thought is they've hired me to do a job all they care about is making sure the job gets done um how do you balance those two frameworks or, or I guess, you know, schools of thought and then, yeah, maybe start there. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.